a part of ancestral veneration is just like having conversations and like just sitting with them or just keeping your altar close or like if you can't have a physical altar the way that you would like just remembering that we ourselves physically are like some whimsical constellation of an altar because we are physically the combination of all the ancestors on both sides that ever lived and we get to walk around in this body for the time that we have hopefully it's a long time we want it to be a long time and we get to live and we get to experience life um especially in ways that some of our ancestors couldn't even imagine My name is Taylor, and you're listening to Offerings. Brought to you by Heritage, Offerings is the podcast where we hold space for conversations of intergenerational healing and memory. In this digital space, we explore and embody practices of slow living and holistic wellness. Offerings provides perspectives on how we can reconnect with and integrate ancestral, indigenous, and ancient wisdom in our modern times to bring the lives and world of our dreams into fruition. Hi! It has been such a long time since I've been back on the mic. I think my latest episode, which was episode one, came out early February. Thank you all so, so, so much for all the love and feedback that I got on that. I mean, you all are so incredible and people have just been so loving in ways that I could not have anticipated or just anything. So I I wanna say I really appreciate all of that. Why has it taken me so long to get another episode out? Mm, good question. So I tried to record an episode actually, it was supposed to be titled Winter Medicine remember posting about it. I recorded that episode like three times and something about it just wasn't working for me. So I decided that I wanted to scrap that episode and I had some other things planned anyway. So I just went ahead with the plan and this is how it's worked out. I knew that after episode one, I kind of wanted to give the podcast some space to evolve in my mind. And it has, I'm sure you've all noticed the new what is that called i don't know like podcast cover art (laughs) and the new intro music i'm sure but something i'm super super excited about which you will get to really experience in this episode today is the fact that we i (laughs) uh we're finally getting to hear from guests on this podcast and i'm finally interviewing people which is super exciting Offerings has also been brought under the Heritage umbrella. And if you don't know what Heritage is, Heritage is my business. It is a space for collective healing and memory. Uh, We hold space for narratives of creativity and culture through the lens of slow living. And we really center Black, Indigenous, and other voices of color in that space. So if you are interested in that, anything having to do with slow living, and I'm guessing you probably are if you're listening to this, then I think you would love that as well. You can find us at Read Heritage on Instagram and at readheritage.com. 
Um, yeah, lots of really big things happening over at Heritage right now. So yeah, Offerings is officially under that umbrella and will be shared with our Heritage community. And that sort of relates to our guest today, which is the lovely, lovely Veronica Agard. I started following Veronica, I want to say in 2019. That was really the beginning of my journey with African traditional religions and learning everything about spirituality on the continent and in the diaspora and just, you know, more about spirituality as it relates to my cultural background. I'm a black woman for anyone who doesn't know. I'm pretty sure you all do though. Um, and Veronica is this amazing organizer, just really like a multifaceted creator and person. I started following her and her account, um, which is her project, Ancestors in Training back then. And so I've been keeping up with her work for years and I have just thought that she was so incredible. Last year, when we launched, soft launched, really, Heritage, we began our online library. Veronica was actually the first person to have a piece published on our library. We got like 100 submissions or something, and I was just waiting for the one that felt like the right fit. And so her piece, Care Beyond a Crisis, came in and it just felt right. And it's amazing. If you haven't read it yet, you can read it up on the library. Again, that's readheritage.com. But I just want to share a little bit about Veronica with you before we get into the recorded conversation between us. So I'm going to share her bio and she actually has a full bio as well that I will leave in the show notes. Veronica Agard, she, her, is a poet, writer, community educator, and connector at the intersections of Black identity, wellness, representation, and culture. She experiments with creative healing modalities and puts theories learned into practice. She curated the Who Heals the Healer series, so dope, and the conference of the same name and facilitates the Ancestors in Training educational project. Her initiatives are housed in her freelance platform, Vera Icon LLC. Described as living in the future, Veronica is guided by the past and carries out her dreams in the present. I love that so much. This is actually the first time I have read that particular bio. And that last line, I think, really just helps to speak to the conversation that we had um, and give context for Veronica and her work and the life that she's living and just all of the beauty that she's bringing into fruition in the world. I'm super excited for you to hear the episode. Yeah. So without further ado, here it is. Okay, Veronica, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. You know, I know we've been talking for the past like 15 minutes, but I still want to say that. Thank um, you. Do you know that I've been following your work for some years now? I think maybe since like 2019. Yeah, pre-Panini times for sure. Yeah. And I found a lot of resonance in your work. I think that our stories are actually quite similar. And um, so when I was thinking of, you know, the first person I wanted to be on my podcast or just thinking up a dream list of 
of guests, I knew that you definitely had to be on here. And I also knew that I really wanted you to be uh, guest number one. So I'm really excited for that dream to finally be coming to fruition. Uh, that's really, um, it's really sweet and affirming to hear that. Um, it's also an honor to very um, opening this up in that way um, and to make way for those that are going to come after. Um, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I know a little bit about you, but for the sake of our listeners and also for the sake of just hearing you tell your own story, I would love if you could share a little bit about your personal heritage. Amazing. So my name is Veronica Agard. I am also known as Ifa Shadun Fasanmi in my tradition. I am definitely a daughter of the Black diaspora. What that means specifically is that I have lineage in Guyana, St. Kitts and Barbados through my father and Southern Alabama and upstate New York through my mother. Um, they met in college and um, I am a guest on Canarsie Lenape land which is also known as Brooklyn, New York, specifically Bushwick. Um, I've been on Lenape land basically my whole life. And I always say that when I speak of where I am because um, it's important to name that, but also it's important to specify whose land you're a guest on because there's folks that are still here and yep. folks that are doing um, really important work to make sure that those stories are still being told. Um, yeah, personal, that's my genealogical personal heritage, but in, for the for the astrologically inclined, I'm a Sagittarius sun, um, winter solstice baby, so that means I have a whole Capricorn stellium, <laughs> and I'm an Aquarius moon, Libra rising, which is why if you follow me on my personal account, you see all the outfits all the time. Um, Jupiter and Leo, which I think is a fun placement. And uh, Mars and Taurus, which means I can be slow to start things. But when I do it, I try to be very um, thorough. Um, what else is important to know about my personal heritage? Um... On my mother's side, I come from a lot of people who are traditionally educated, which is not lost on me because that is my Southern heritage and that I am the fourth generation of women on my mother's side, uh, specifically my maternal lineage within, within my mother's people to not only go to college, but to graduate. And then my... Yeah, that's a like the more that I think about it and the older I get, I'm like, nah, that's a big deal. Like you should yeah, have huge yeah. Yeah. And then my my father's side, my father and I are actually the first generation together because my father is a retired veteran in the United States Army Reserve, um, served in Iraq in two thousand four and two thousand five. And because he had a career in the army, he took a break from college. So when he went back, we actually graduated in the same year in 2014. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. 
Um, and I was raised by two water sign parents, which is apparently important. My dad is Scorpio and my mom is a Pisces, uh, which made me being slightly fiery kind of funny <laughs> in hindsight. But, um, but yeah, I'm very much a, an antithesis of the stereotype of an only child. I am learning how to be kinder to myself via who I let show up for me because I have I have a tendency to be hyper independent like I'm likely not gonna ask when I need help um or you know if men that are trying to woo me are um, you know chivalrous I tend to just walk through the door myself or like open the car door or like not let somebody walk on the outside like I actively have to you know um, soften a bit. So those are some of the things that I I bring when the word personal and heritage come together. Yeah, I love that. I feel like it really paints a rich picture of who you are. I love that you shared more about your, your signs. Um, I'm also the child of two water signs, so 100% I know what that is. a lot going on in those kind of houses. <laughs> Especially with uh, like fire placements, my moon is in Leo, so I, I get it. Um, I also love that uh, you spoke to the experience of living on Lenape land pretty much your entire life. I I, I was also um, I've also lived on Lenape land pretty much my entire life. I was born on Lenape Hoking in Philadelphia, um, and it means a great deal to me. Um, and I also love that you acknowledge the fact that there are still people who are actively out here on the land working um, and doing incredible things. You know, I feel like a lot of times when we speak about um, indigenous communities, particularly for places that are, you know, heavily populated by settlers or descendants of um, enslaved people. Now, a lot of times it can sound like they're not there anymore or, you know, we can yeah, no. yeah, right? But they are. And I love that you uh, not only spoke to, you know, acknowledging that it is their land, but also that they are still alive, well and working just like us. Absolutely. Um, especially given a lot of the um, the shared ethos within Ancestors and Training as a project. It's like we're all, um, even if we're settler descendant or descendants of folks who were enslaved at some point we're all indigenous to somewhere right some of us that have complicated heritage that's multiple places right especially if you've ever done a dna test and you're just kind of like whoa like that's a lot of different spots like how do i even pick or like any of those kind of thoughts um we're all indigenous to some part of the the world yeah um, and I think that it's important to to name that, but then also just as you said, to not um, not situate Indigenous people to the Americas to being historical mm -hmm. and not taking for granted that they're still here and still working the land and still, you know, giving blessings and doing land acknowledgments or organizing events like what happens here in. Um, New York City to raise awareness during holidays that are um, also times of mourning, right? So I'm specifically thinking of Indigenous Peoples Day, yeah. which here in New York is um, 
Columbus Day and that whole debate between Italian Americans and indigenous folks. And I'm like, yo, Columbus wasn't even Italian. So why are we arguing about this? Just pick a different Italian. I feel like there's other, you know, yeah. that's problematic Italians to choose from. Um, so I'm like, just pick so like, yo, just pick somebody else to pick a different day. Like pick anybody, not obviously not anybody. I'm using humor to just kind of cut through that. But it's like, I wish that, I wish that, and I hope that we're able to have more conversations like that. And I try to bring that to the ancestors and training platform for sure. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into, you know, what I'm wondering is what called you to create ancestors and training and what was really your introduction to ancestral veneration and this practice in general? Yeah. So that was a perfect segue. Um, I got to start in, I got to go back in time. I got to go back seven years ago to Ooh, seven. Yeah. I'm in a year for the record. I'm in a year seven personally, and it's a universal seven. So there's like sevens afoot all over the place. So I, seven years ago, I, um, through some friends of mine from my undergrad program, I was introduced to a practice called capoeira, which is a Brazilian, um, specifically an Afro-Brazilian tradition, martial art practice that has a lot of ties to candomblé. Candomblé is the Brazilian expression of um, combination of things from varying traditions through different regions in Africa. And what that ended up being is that the, the lineages of capoeira and the lineages of Kanoble have an overlap spiritually. And for me, that was the first time I had ever experienced or heard of the Orishas, which are the persona, some of the personifications of forces of nature within Ifa Yoruba traditions. Um, some of the more quote popular quote ones are um, Oshun, Jemonja, Shango, Oya, um, and there's 400 and beyond of them. So there's so many different ones. But I um, I remember talking to my capoeira master at the time, who is black and from Salvador Bahia, which is in the Western Hemisphere, that is one of the blackest places in the world, if not um, specifically the biggest place outside of the continent of Africa. And that's due to how many, not only how many enslaved Africans were brought over by the Portuguese, but also because slavery in Brazil ended very late. It ended in like 1888, I want to say, or somewhere thereabouts. Um, so I share that to say my master at the time, he was explaining to me that some of the songs that are sung in Gabor are actually coded and that they have a different meaning. Wow. And that they sometimes you're singing to whether it's explicit or implicit that you're actually singing to some of the Orishas. And once I said that, once, excuse me, once he said that, I was like, oh, actually, okay, so tell me more. And then he told me a little bit more 
and they gave me some books to read, some of which I still have. If this ever finds, I'm sorry that I never gave them back. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that was the beginning of that introduction, and then I started to read. I started to read. Period. Like I started to read a lot more books, and then also at that time, I was already into different spiritual or quote quote new age things anyway and i found a book called jambalaya the natural i love it that that is the book uh written by that um priestess um and i always say this when people are like well how'd you get here so the combination of that time in my life and where i was in my own spiritual development Plus, when I just started to research um, Yay Yay, I found a quote from her that's not from that book, but it's it goes, where the ancestors of the future and what we do now will have an impact. And I think it went to sleep after I read that and woke up the next day and I was just kind of like, what does it mean for us to be living the way that we want to be remembered and to not wait until we're gone? or wait until we're sick or have a bunch of what ifs and regrets. And so that's how I was able to offer ancestors and training as like some kind of expression. The first time I did it was as a, like, I think 30 minutes, shout out to Shira um, of Diaspora Radicalics and also just my, my friend, um, they organized an experience where I was able to share, um, more about the philosophy and what it meant to me because it's really it's a philosophy and a mindset but it's also an experience Mm -hmm. where people can come in circle we can scale it up and make it a panel we can scale it down and make it super intimate it can be physical real-time expressions like what it was in this past september at my uh, my friend chiquita brujita's brooklyn brujeria festival where we added seven generations and social altar that people could leave and write prayers in and that there was an altar and it physically grew throughout the whole day and it was essentially a a pop-up tent but it was a really sacred container so that's beautiful yeah so it really depends on the expression but i've been able to to grow it because of this understanding that that you know that concept and that philosophy is so much bigger than me mm-hmm. um just like the traditions that it draws from are so much bigger than me anyway so it's from that space of humility that I'm like, okay, well, how can I invite more people in? How can I share more about this? How can I step up? Is there a space where I can step back? Like that kind of um, thought process. So that's the 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 main behind the scenes story of that. Um, and also just continuing to learn. And that's part of the reason why um, I have developed and curated the syllabus to go with the project because Whenever folks are like, well, what can we learn more? What about this? I'm like, here's a running list of things that I think will inspire you or support you once you um, get introduced to this this way of thinking. And a lot of it is just around how to be a good human. Yeah. Um, which I wish was not radical. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> was like, yo, just be a good human. Like, be a good human so that way, you know, the humans that knew you, when they want to crawl on you for something, they can crawl on you for something specific. 
and that you'll be, you know, an elevated ancestor, a beloved um, ancestor, as opposed to, you know, um, the opposite. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, you know what's interesting? Uh, Jambalaya was also largely in part my introduction to this work. Um, I love that book. Whenever people are asking about how to start some sort of ancestral veneration um, practice or anything like that, I point them in that direction because I feel like it it's just such a good introduction to anything you could really need to know i feel like um touches on the orishas it also i think touches on uh black southern traditions like hoodoo mm -hmm. which i think is amazing to find in one place um yeah that's that's incredible it's incredible to hear the story of you know how that quote really resonated with you but really that you sat with it and you woke up the next morning and you knew that this is something that you had to bring into fruition yeah, especially because of the space that I was in at the time, the the work that I was doing with um, centering survivors, um, women and femmes, like that was coming to an end. Mm. But the space that, or not, that was coming to an end, but the way that I showed up in that space was very much a spiritual holding, holding a container kind of way. So I knew that I had to figure out my own way of being that was just, you know, Veronica and not in a collective. Mm -hmm. uh, so the spiritual side was always the side that I tended to bring into that space. So I um, also was able to bring the other side of the coin and the thread for real, for real of who I am, which is that I'm a writer, whether it's poetry or just words in general right so that's a part of the reason why ancestors in training always has prompts and it always has invitations for people to sit with and circle with in so many different ways whether they become a part of people's you know moon cycle rituals or just rituals in general or that they become archival memory and questions that they ask their elders while they're still here because a lot of the questions that i ask and i offer are things that i wish that i could have asked some of my now ancestors while they were still here. Yeah, I love that. And I resonate a lot with it. I think in a, well, in a way, heritage is is basically that for me, um, I'm the youngest child. I'm the youngest in pretty much my, my whole family besides the next generation, which are uh, my siblings' kids. And with that came the fact that a lot of my elders were either gone before I was born or gone by the time I was like 15, 16. And I didn't have the same consciousness or uh, language to ask the question. Yeah, heavy on the language. Yeah. You know, at 16, you're not necessarily unless you have been given the tools, right? Or the experiences like rites of passage in order to be conscious of... um just what it is that, um, you know, your lineage and what it means to be a good human, right? Like, as you were saying. Um, and so you can't necessarily ask those questions if you don't know, if you don't have the language. And so, yeah, by the time I was cognizant that these were the questions that I wanted to ask, everyone was pretty much gone. Um, so I think those prompts in particular, the prompts are amazing. I see them all the time. They stop me in my tracks. Thank you. So scrolling, which I think is really important, um, 
but they just draw you into those moments of reflection. Um, and I think it's really beautiful the way that the work that you're doing, as you've spoken to, not only um, works as a collective, but really gives us a framework for bridging the gap um, in that individual work and that collective work. Um, I'm curious to know, as we tie in the, the wider conversation that we've been working on, um, with respect to, you know, those elders that you have lost and just in general, um, how the practice of tending your grief relates to your wider practice of being an ancestor in training or living to become an ancestor worthy of praise. Yeah, so I have been able to, like I just said, like some of the questions that I ask in other spaces and especially anybody who's ever circled with me, like folks know that I say, I'm like anything that I'm asking or inviting you to, like it's not something that I have never asked myself. Like I'm never gonna, you know, do the, do as I say, not as I do type thing. I was like, no, like that's like, if I'm asking it, that means I've asked it myself and asked it of myself and been like, okay, like, what does it mean for you to, especially for me now, um, being a part of the Ifa tradition, specifically being an Aberisha, which essentially means I'm a baby <laughs> within that tradition, but I am, um, I went from being outside the house to being in the house when I'm still a kid. And what I'm learning is that some of the things that I would invoke or some of the things that I call down are now explicitly named in my spiritual journey, right? Like my my Ifa name means um, Ifa sprouts joy or Ifa brings sweetness. Mm -hmm. And as much as I've been like, ah, 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 like on the internet about prioritizing black joy for years, um, it wasn't lost on me that I was giving uh, a name um, reminder. Um, and especially when people call it that there's like a specific, there's a power in naming things overall. There's a power in naming what kind of experiences you want to have, don't have. And that's why I also believe in the potency of writing. But specifically in terms of tending to, to grief, um, the ancestors in training space especially has been a way for folks to understand different types of grief, especially because of the pandemic, right? And some of the things that I was asking before the pandemic got even realer in the midst of it, right? Of like, you know, what does it mean to be an ancestor in training in the face of like hyperconsumption, climate change, and um, grief yeah. and different types of grief and conversations around, you know, in order to be an ancestor, you got to have descendants, which is what my father lovingly joked about with me. <laughs> and I was like, touche, dad, because you're trying to, you know, be like, I'm proud of you and I pay attention to what you're, you're putting out there, kid, but also like, when are you going to have children? To which I'm just like, um, I got to make sure whoever I choose to have children with also has a similar understanding of like, you know, generational trauma and healing and cycle breaking and all those other kind of things. Because if not, we're going to just perpetuate shit. And I'm not trying to, I'm like, I'm not trying to do that. So, um, but I see that to say it's more so how to make sure that I, in spite of the things or in spite of some of the regrets like you were talking about, about just not having the language when, you know, you could have or you wanted to. Um, I specifically started my own 
you know, my healing, wellness, holistic journey, whatever you want to call it, in the wake of my paternal grandmother and uncle on the same side passing away within 66 days of each other. Um, I was 21. Just 21? Yeah, I was 21. I'm 32 now for the record. And I knew that that was something that was outside of me. It was like the biggest form of grief I've ever experienced to date. It's not that I haven't had other losses or challenges, right? Because grief is not just about um, when people pass away or when they become ancestors. Grief can be, oh, damn, I chose wrong. Or, oh, I miss being able to be in that kind of space. Or grief is understanding that life before COVID-19 is not coming back. Um, yeah. And that there's only the way forward, right? And there's still a way to go, but it's also like, damn, like we're never going back to like summer 2019 vibes. Which was a vibe. It was a vibe. It was a vibe. We had no idea what was coming. But it's but the, the other part of me is like oh, okay like there's vibes on the other side but also like damn like that that was the thing so I think for me being able to tend to that and being honest um, and also trying to not get swallowed up in the grief all the time so I'm specifically thinking about how when I used to offer ancestors in training in the past I would almost always get into the depths of like how it felt to lose my grandmother and my uncle without having been able to ask some of those questions, I tended to share a lot of that that pain that came from them transitioning the way that they did. And I remember my friend Shane saying to me, he was like, you can still talk about the the importance and the meaning behind how to be an ancestor in training without always opening yourself up again to that pain flashpoint. He's like, you don't, he's like, you don't have to do that anymore. Like we get it. Like we, we understand what you're trying to share because I think sometimes, especially here in the United States, we're used to trying to use some kind of emotion to convey why something is really important or why somebody should believe in what we say. So that gave me a bit of confidence to be like, no, I just got to trust that people are going to, you know, resonate with this without me going into opening myself up over and over again, you know? So I think that ever since then, I've been very much aware of the line of like how much I share, how much I don't. But I will say that I, um, because of my work of tending to grief and making sure that I'm vocal about some of these things and also being the family archivist or the genealogist and annoying my dad since forever. I've been trying to figure <laughs> out some of the things with our lineage that are tricky and that are complex because of um, relationships that collapse before, well before I was even a thought and when my father was a small child. And um, I know that my work has been able to support him in feeling more comfortable with knowing about where we come from because he at first was just kind of like oh i'm an alien like never mind what happened to my father like my my grandfather his father mm -hmm. and now it's more of a space of like okay like i might not be able to find out specifically this this and this but like 
I feel comfortable now reaching out to some of these cousins that I have on Ancestry.com, even doing the test in the first place. Um, and some of those things have led to him being more open. And that's something that I find when you do when you do the work yourself, it can set an example for people in your life. And you also won't know that you're setting an example until conversations happen afterwards. And it's like, oh, actually, wait, never mind. Like, I saw Veronica do this, so maybe I'll try. And that ended up being um, that ended up being hilarious because a part of what ended up happening is that my dad found a first cousin of his that we did not know. You're like, how the hell did we not know first cousin? Is this? And then it turns out that that's a part of our lineage that's through um, his father, which through the friend, um, a f through the support of a friend of mine, Elliot um, Lassie, I was able to deduce that my last name not should not be Agard. It's, it's, wow. a, it's a maternal name on my father's side. It's not a paternal. Like I actually should have been Veronica D'Andragi, which is a whole Portuguese sounding Brazilian lady. That's which, incredible. Which is hilarious given that, you know, my relationship with the Orishas and my ancestor veneration practice started via Capoeira, which is Afro-Brazilian thing. So like it, a friend a friend of mine said that sometimes when you're you're least suspecting it and when you keep talking about it, your ancestors will appear or make themselves known. And specifically with my dad, um, he reached out to that cousin one year and then she she didn't answer. Like when she finally did answer, she was like, yeah, I wrote you off as if it was just a fluke. I was like, there's no way. Wow. And she wrote back and was like, okay, so this is what I know about where we come from. And, da -da -da -da. and then it turns out that some of the the generational healing happened in that exchange because they were able to share how they had both been trying to find where they come from. And that journey meant that they found each other. And I was just like, look at my dad having language that he would not have had, <laughs> you know, like a couple of years ago. But that also, like, tending to my grief gave me space to just focus on my own grief as opposed to trying to focus on my dad's grief, my mom's grief, my grandmother who's still living, this person, that person, this, that, and the third, my friends, like me tending to my own, but people also tend to their own. Um, yeah. That's really, really incredible. And that's something I think of often, right? Again, as the youngest child and um, as you were speaking to, you know, these relationships and things that had happened in your family well before you were even thought of, well before you were conceived. Um, it's so beautiful to see that you taking the time to actually do the work that you were talking about and embodying that work really inspired and gave a model for the other people in your family to do it. And not just others in your family, but like, we're talking about parents, right? Like, yeah, it's incredible. Like what you were speaking to with your dad and that experience of them just kind of being like, well, this is this is how things have been. This is how they are. And kind of, I think oftentimes there's an underlying layer of this is just how they're going to have to be. But you taking the time to do the work really reminded or um, provided and a different way of being, right, for your dad. For sure. 
or like it gave him other opportunities to share things or like there's conversations I know for a fact had I not you know done the work and like um been a part of the ancestral traditions that I'm a part of like my dad would not have some of the language that he does to be like yeah I think I remember and he'll say this casually he'll be like yeah I think I remember my my grandmother um she had like silver hair and like she wore glasses and I sure remember that she loved me now mind you my dad is like two in this memory that he's recalling and I was just like yeah I feel like she just came to me in a dream and was like it'll be okay and I'm like bro did so did you just get bit? like so in my mind I'm like okay so ancestors allowed and they came to him to be like knock knock and I'm like okay he would not have told me this a couple of years ago he might have told he might have told my stepmom but he wouldn't have told me you know just in the sense of like there's just stuff that he'll just in, in the past would be like yeah yeah okay like nah, nah. like big Scorpio energy like nah. <laughs> and then now it's like he'll be he's a little more open to those experiences or to have conversations with me about it and that even came up in the key of um this past November we were able to go back to St. Kitts to bring my grandmother and my uncle's ashes home. Um, they have long since passed and it actually took a while for my dad to um, be open to going back. And I specifically say that in the same breath of like being an example because I went ahead of him. <laughs> I went ahead of him famously and I'm laughing because he was mad at me I did it. Um, and I was just like, bro, I got tired of waiting on you. Like, I love you dearly, but like, if I waited on you, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And that was in 2018. And I spent time with my cousins and all that kind of stuff. Because once I realized that speaking of things that happened well before we were born, uh, there was a lot of things that happened between my grandmother and my aunt that um, predated all of us. Right. And those of us that are still here, like, you know, we love them. We miss them. But that was their trauma. That was their pain. That was their relationship. It does not have to be ours. And we were able to not only bring the ashes back, but I was able to surprise my dad. He didn't know that I was going to be there. Um, he thought, I don't know what we said to him, but he just thought I wasn't going to be there. So we, we, wow. we, we surprised him and we were able to bring the ashes back. And through doing that and saying, like, kind of leading the way and being like, hey, like, it's, it's okay. Like, it's safe here. Like, I know you have this memory and that memory and those are valid, but also like the last time he was there, he was a small child and my dad will be 64 this year. Well, yeah, my dad will be 64 this year. So there's nothing. And I think that that's the, some, that's the gift that holding space for folks in general, in my career and my chosen path has given me is that I'm able to extend that to talking a lot about my father in this case because it pertains to ancestry and lineage but I'm able to have that lens with my family and with people that I love and be like okay like this sounds like this this sounds like this person might need a b and c but Veronica all you can do is present them with the options and just you know see what happens yeah I think it's really incredible and amazing to hear you talk about this because it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times in 
I don't know, the wellness space, but particularly in that space where wellness and spirituality overlap. There can be a lot of times where we we have these lofty ideas, right? We talk about things like becoming an ancestor and training, not that that's super lofty, but um, just things that it's like, what does that actually look like on the day to day? Like, what does it look like to embody that? And your relationship with your dad really speaks to what that does look like, what practically it looks like to, yeah, be an ancestor in training, but also like do this deep generational healing work. Um, Yeah, for sure. Because I definitely agree that like in the wellness TM and spiritual overlap that is rife with spiritual scammers. I myself, Veronica Agard, aka Ifasha Dun Fasani of Ancestors in Training, will never DM you about a reading. I may reply to the story saying thanks so much. I might send a meme or I might send a gift. But otherwise, no, it wasn't me. So I knew we're gonna say that. <laughs> like, bro, it wasn't me. Baba Laos in your DM. No, I'm like, nah, fam. Like just I'm such a New Yorker. Like, no. Um but it's just like there's even within that that same space like prior to all the scammers and all the things like it did feel like that like it was um what is it Tatiana Taro calls this woo woo like she's very much like yo like some folks are out here sounding very woo woo and like just um sometimes the esoteric can become so lofty like you just said that people who may want to be into it but don't know that they want to be into it they can't reach it they can't access it and then for me i'm like yo it's um and i don't remember who said this but there's a quote that says um if it's not accessible to the poor it's neither radical nor revolutionary and so for me i'm like if it's not accessible to folks who didn't necessarily go to college or don't have you know uh, capitalistic frameworks of being valued or like their opinions are heard, all of the different ways in which that can manifest, then you're going to miss a whole bunch of people who need generational healing, might want to learn more about their ancestors, might want to develop some kind of spiritual practice, whether that's meditation, taking care of their plants. Like there's certain things that are spiritual that are not these innate rituals that sometimes like sometimes when i be seeing altars on the internet i'm like if y'all don't get this off of my feed please like stop giving people ammunition who wish you ill right like any altars that you see of mine i'm like that that was a community altar with mine you know um or just there's certain things that i still believe need to be kept behind the veil or um as some of the ancestral traditions um did when they came over here via folks who were enslaved and they hid in the skirts they hid in the saints they hid right i'm like there's still a need for some of this to hide and for some of this to not be all over the internet because there's such a lack of discernment that happens specifically when it comes to the scammers because if we had more discernment, then we would probably, you know, spend a little bit of time to look at the page to be like, wait a minute, this was only made a couple of weeks ago. Or like this person, I know that ancestors and training posts like within this kind of frequency, but all of these posts were posted like the past couple of days, you know? 
Yeah. And I think that so much of our instant gratification culture has shifted and come over to wellness and to healing for sure. And I'm just like, yo, you can't like, especially if it's, if it's some generational trauma that has nothing to do with you, you are not going to instant gratification or double tap that shit away. That's not going to happen. Like you, you might need to go to therapy. You might want to try family therapy. You might want to get divination. You might want to try a whole list of things. And that's going to take time. And I think that that's the one thing I have realized as somebody that remembers AOL dial-up and having to pay to get on the internet. <laughs> and um, before Google existed and there was this this little butler named Jeeves that you could ask a question of that, um, like, if that's my perspective, there are elders and um, folks in varying traditions that remember before technology, right? And for, you know, information was readily accessible and that you had to go study at the feet of the masters or the feet of the Iyas or the Babas or the the medicine people, right? And there's something within that sometimes that I'm like, I want everything to be accessible to everyone, but I also am fearful of what happens when people take that information to cause harm or to manipulate or to rip people off financially because folks are really actually like seeking healing that end up getting scammed like that. They're actually, there's a need. They are looking for something. And I just, you know, those are my feelings on that. Yeah. I, I love what you were saying about, um, about how, well, I was talking to my therapist recently about how there's so much noise when it comes to the wellness industry and, um, like the spiritual industry, if that's even a thing. I mean, it's a thing, but, um, mm -hmm. and how we have this, I don't know, it's very prevalent as you were saying that you'll see a lot in my experience of um, just a lot of like lofty language, a lot of esoteric things aren't really accessible. What I've been grappling with a lot lately is, um, that there aren't many models for what it looks like to actually be accessible when you're doing this work. And I feel like a lot of times, as you were saying, those models that are accessible, that actually meet people where they are and are tending to like the majority of the population, right? That doesn't necessarily have the experience or the language or hasn't had these rites of passage be able to understand whatever it is that people on the internet are saying and feeding to them. Um, Absolutely. And to be able to spot folks who may be saying one thing on the internet, but then are at, not actually like that in real life. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times the actual practitioners who are like that in real life, they're not even on the internet. They're not even on the internet. You got to go through all kinds of hoops and be vetted to actually go sit with them never mind to learn from them and part of me is like that's the that's the ethos that i have whenever it's like oh someone's like someone will say oh such and such reached out to me for a reading i'm like they the the teacher they the the they the diviner reached out to you not that you aren't important but are you sure that was them and then after that it's like oh shit no that was not that person you know and it's mm -hmm. It's really like, it's like what you just said, like there's those folks are not going to be, they are accessible, but they're not necessarily worried about a follower count or just, you know, 
worried about um, saying the right thing or having that, the right hashtag. And it's not that people can't do that. This is not a shade or mm-hmm. dick at anybody with big platforms. I think that with those kind of bigger platforms, um, folks are doing a lot to make sure that it is accessible and that they do have ways of being a community that work for them specifically too. Um, especially when folks get really big like that, they have to change um, how folks can reach them. I'm sp- thinking about Tatiana Taro and I'm thinking about um, Juju, uh, a little um, Juju podcast, like folks like that who used to give more readings or used to do things, but now because of the reach that they have, and as they should, they set boundaries with how people can access them. Yeah. And I do feel like, I mean, of course it's possible. Honestly, I feel like Ancestors in Training has been, at least for me, has provided a great framework for what it looks like to show up in um, with integrity in the digital space, right? When you're doing this this spiritual wellness work to really meet the needs of people who are seeking help, who need healing. Um, so it's it's definitely, definitely possible. I feel like that is a conversation that we could go a lot of different places with. Yeah, that we we could deviate <laughs> and have a whole <laughs> conversation about that. But I think that what I will say to that other than thank you um, is that's a part of the reason why I keep searching for uh, opportunities to keep the programming affordable. But then the trick with that is, it's like, it can be affordable, but it doesn't necessarily compensate me at the scale that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten that feedback before and I'm like, yeah, but if I up the price too high, then the people that I want in the room can't afford to be in the room and that defeats the purpose for me. I will speak in the eye on that. There's some people that are like, no, you just raise a tear, do the things. I'm like, if that works for you, cool, but that doesn't, the community organizer in me, that doesn't sit well with me. Um, if people, especially in these financial streets right now, like uh, that, that doesn't sit well with me. But there's more, there's more power to the people who set the tier and like people meet them where they're at. Like absolutely, like do what you got to do. Um, but there is a piece of making sure that it's accessible and that it's also genuine. Mm-hmm. Like that's why, like sometimes I'm like, I like, do I have anything to say meaningful over here? Like that is fine. Because I'm like, I'm not going to say something over on that platform, especially because it's been growing the way that it has. I'm like, I'm not going to say anything over there just for the sake of saying that. If I am, I'm going to, you know, kiki key on my own personal page because that's what that's for. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not going to do that on a platform that's not really about me. Like, that's why I don't even show my whole face over there that often because I'm like, it's not about me over here. Yeah, that's how I feel about Heritage also. Yeah, but then the algorithms and all the things, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, like, Show your face smart. I'm like, y'all, please. Like, y'all didn't come here for me. <laughs> I feel like actually what you're saying right now also relates back to what you were saying about, like, do I have anything to say? I feel like a lot of times, and this is an experience I've had that's been really difficult to navigate, but, like, I don't always necessarily have, like, quality information experience whatever to share sometimes i just want to sit in the experience of whatever is happening and well experience it like feel it in my and 
another really difficult thing about, you know, being on the internet is those algorithms. Like, they want something from you every week, every day, multiple times a day. And it's like, how do we show up with integrity, with authenticity, and in an embodied way in our practice if we are catering to these algorithms? I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Um, like, I know that there's folks whose scholarship is that that's what they're trying to figure out. Um, I know for me, I try to, like, I try to go at the speed of, like, whatever I feel like sharing. But I also know, at least for me, it makes more sense for me to post every two days on Ancestors of Training as opposed to every day. Like you just said, I'm like, yo, like, I can schedule this. I don't have to be sitting at the computer and like trying to meet all the things at any given moment. I'm like, no, I can do this and think strategically, move with the seasons. Um, I always try to move with the seasons, move with and, the- and quarters especially, but I'm like, okay, if I move with the seasons and every, which goes back to the everyday practice. I'm like, I move with the seasons for everything in my life or I move in quarters for everything in my life. Um, whether that's like planning for like specific things for me getting divination, like doing whatever it is that I need to do in my like toolkit, I'm like, I tend to go with the seasons. So for me, I'm like, oh, it makes sense for me to think about different types of themes or different types of conversations or different types of circles to offer, depending on what's going on in the cosmos, but also depending on what's going on in the world. I'm like, um, one time when I did a panel, we were talking about Caribbean solidarities, which goes to something that I uplifted in the um, the piece that I wrote for Heritage, which was basically like, how can we be in solidarity beyond a crisis? Because it's always a crisis that we talk about the Caribbean, per se, at least here in these so-called United States. The diaspora, that's when on a surface level or like what the algorithm caters to, and I will say it like that, they know that there's meaningful work happening year round, but I'm like, yo, during hurricane season, is when I hear more about fundraisers and things like that. I'm like, yo, these there's people in need year round. Why do we have to wait until a force of nature comes and does what it's going to do? Right. Cause uh and in that space I said, I was like, hurricanes are going to hurricane. Like that that's that's a fact. Like there's nothing we yeah. can do with that. Um but we can actively maintain relationships beyond that moment. Yeah, I remember I actually had written down uh, your question. How can we be invested in each other's wholeness without violence or trauma being prerequisite? Is it even possible? Which I'm like, it's it's slightly not possible, but I'm going to hold on to that dream. You know, I'm just (laughs) like warm and fuzzy. Like in my mind, this is possible. Okay, y'all like we don't need uh, we don't need trauma as a prereq to healing. But then the other part of me is like, well, you know, things are on a continuum, both and, like, yes, that can happen, and we can, you know, move forward. So I'm still on the fence with that, and that was my own damn question. In a way, though, you saying that we can we can be, uh, have this both and actually kind of reminds me of earlier when we were talking about how you've reached this place with ancestors in training where you feel like, You know, it's okay not to revisit the pain of that loss every single time you sit down to have uh, an event or a panel and to people. 
For sure. And that extends to like the everyday practice too. Like it doesn't have to be that we we only go to our ancestors in the same same sentiment. We don't have to only go to our ancestors or ask for blessings or um, pray when it's a crisis or when, you know, we're trying to figure out if we should be with that person or not. Like it does not always have to be some kind of quote crisis quote, right? Um, and there's spectrum for that of what we go to our altars and all the things and I'm like a part of ancestral veneration is just like having conversations and like just sitting with them or just keeping your altar close or like if you can't have a physical altar the way that you would like just remembering that we ourselves physically are like some whimsical constellation of an altar because we are physically the combination of all the ancestors on both sides that ever lived and we get to walk around in this body for the time that we have. Hopefully it's a long time. We want it to be a long time. And we get to live and we get to experience life, um, especially in ways that some of our ancestors couldn't even imagine, right? Like technology, like, and being able to fly on a plane or, you know, being able to travel at the speed in which we can, we can right? Um, or to be able to have conversations with people across different time zones and continents, right? Like sometimes when folks come to ancestors and training, like they're in the future because they're in Australia. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, this is <laughs> wild, you know? So it's just, and then for me, I'm like, yo, that's wild to me. And I live in these times. Like some of my ancestors are like, what's Australia, you know? Yeah. And just understanding that perspective is just, it can be a lot. Um, I've been told that I've kind of always been this deep upon further review. Like I was the kid in school that the teacher said like was an old soul or like has been here before. Like I've been getting that my whole life kind of. So like sometimes when I go into these depths of these kind of conversations, like sometimes I lose people because I realize that sometimes depending on how people encounter me, Veronica, they're not trying to get that deep. Um, I specifically encountered that when dating, which is comedy, which goes back to what I was saying before about my dad being like, you know, like we, and it comes from a space of him wanting to make sure that I'm okay mm -hmm. uh, and that I'm taken care of. So I understand it. It's not, it's not any kind of pressure. Um, but it's also just funny in the ways in which that shows up in my life. And I'm just like, navigating like okay like how can i ask if this person has a relationship with their ancestors like is it too soon for me to ask that on the first date like can i ask them <laughs> you know the second maybe the third i love that as a first date question I, look it's like are you it's like that viral tweet like are you aware of your generational traumas and i'm like okay are you aware of like what kind of legacy you want to leave behind now because like joy is legacy work Pleasure is legacy work. Like healing is legacy work. And I'm like, that's like active. Those are active things that you can do while you're still here. Like it doesn't, it goes back to the thread of like, why do we have to wait until some kind of crisis or calamity to be reflective? I'm like, we should be reflective all the time. Like all the we should be reflective. It doesn't mean that you need to be like deep, deep reflective, but just some kind of moment of reflection like people call that meditation some people call that like what my mom does where she just watches the sunrise and sunset every day if she can't like that's her moment of reflection 
And that's not because of, you know, anybody teaching her that. That's just because that makes her happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. That also kind of reminds me of uh, Robin Wall Kamara, one of her quotes from Braiding Sweetgrass about homemade ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how grounding they can be and how whatever we have to offer, right, is enough. Um, yeah, that's like the, um, sorry, I'm laughing because um, <laughs> Mary Posick's healing on Instagram is, uh, and TikTok is having a viral moment for sure, where they, uh, the caption is when you're low on funds, so you remember that you can offer your ancestors a little dance. First of all, that shit is hilarious. Second of all, it's true because we really in this wellness TM sphere see a lot of folks that are like, you have to buy this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing to participate in capitalism. And then and all of your problems, quote, will be solved. I was like, actually, no, like there is a power in like you just uplifted their homemade ceremony or something silly or something whimsical. Like I'd be talking, I'm like, yo, y'all do this or y'all see this shit? Like what happened? I'm like, depending on the the type of ancestor. And I think that that's the thing too, like understanding like because we are um, made up the, of the people that came before us. I'm like, I know I had some cousin ancestors, especially in my mama's side, southern, southern side, please. I'm like, I already know. I already Alabama rolled tight. I was like, yeah, there were probably some, some cousin ancestors over there. Um, but then I'm also just like... Uh, understanding like some of the stuff that like I find humor in and my mom finds humor in that we're just like you know like we are who we are but like there's certain jobs we could not have because nah like that's not a good idea like we um or just understanding that like there is a power and understanding that there's certain things that'll just be handled like sometimes like I I'll get frustrated or I'll get upset about something and a couple of moments later I'll get money that I forgot was due to me or um, I'll get an opportunity like this or another to speak somewhere or something like that. So my ancestors are funny because they they get the Apollo hook for me from time to time. They'd be like, just come over here. Like, ignore that. Like, the fact that I become get this money. Or come get this, you know, form of, you know, um, affirmation or abundance. Like, come, come get your birthright. Because whatever you were worried about just now ain't worth it. <laughs> um, but I'm also still a human. Like, there's still stuff that gets underneath my skin. I don't always have it together, quote. And I think that that also goes to the integrity piece. I'm like, yeah, I offer this space to people and you know i have circles and i have events and all these things and then sometimes i take a break mm-hmm. like that was a lot or like even just now i'm like i like i just got back from brazil after it being so integral to my relationship with my ancestors and my ancestral veneration practice in particular even though i ended up choosing um a different expression of the tradition i didn't choose kind of blair i chose ifa um, I haven't fully expressed everything that I want to express about why Brazil was so important to me. Um, 
But I also know that I'm like, some parts of that story, I'm like, do I really need to write a whole thing and tell people how that went? Or can I just, you know, um, tell those close to me why that was important to me? Or, you know, trust that the people close to me know um, why that trip was really important. Or, you know, why every now and again I'm actively looking on trying to go back. Uh, but that also might be the Sagittarius in me, which I'm laughing. Like, I could just <laughs> turn around. Like, why am I in New York? That's a question I ask a lot lately. Like, why am I in New York? Like, never mind Brazil. I'm just like, why am I here? And I think that that's also because I know the why, but that comes from a deeper place lately of, like, understanding that I've never, like, what we said at the beginning, um, being raised on and being a guest of Lenape land my whole life, I've never called somewhere else home long term um speaking of being an ancestor in training and i'm like well you know like conversations that i have with some of my friends specifically shira like um they're um, a mixed lineage from um, the dominican republic specifically and we had that conversation once of like yo if you if you ever want to raise your kids somewhere else where would it, where would you go and then we were like, oh, wait, we could go to DR and St. Kitts, respectively. Oh, wait, climate change. Are they going to be above water in like 30, 40 years? And then going back to the drawing board and be like, well, New York is going to be subtropical by the time all that happens. Like, And then being like, nah, 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 not New York, because what, what the hell are the prices going to be? And like that back and forth of like not knowing where yeah. um, and having some kind of grief there. And I'm like, well... I mean, and that's ten, that tends to be my answer, like for tricky stuff. I'm like, well, I mean, like I could do this or I could do that, but I also don't know this or that, like, or I, I'm not sure what that could look like yet. Um, yeah. So it's just interesting to me to have those kind of conversations now, but I think that that's a part of the ways in which ancestors and training just shows up in my whole life. Just like shit like that. I'm like, yeah, I got to figure out where I'm going to, you know, raise my my future kiddos and then i'm like then i need to figure out who their daddy is first so we'll you know more after the commercial break on that <laughs> well yeah i love that i love those very real conversations that you're having with your friends i've also had a lot of very similar conversations as someone literally just moved i think it's been just over a year yeah a year and like four days since I left uh, Philly, since I left Lenape King and the land that I spent my entire life on. Um, and this question of like where to put down roots really is a question uh, that relates heavily to what it means to be an ancestor in training because that is ideally planning for the future, hopefully planning for generations within the future, seven or more. Um, you know, the United States is tricky because we just never know what to expect, but there is yeah. this trickiness and, and um, yeah, and we don't know what to expect now really anywhere as you've spoken to because of, of the climate crisis. But I love what you were saying and um, just the sentiment that you shared in care beyond a crisis your piece for heritage when you said if trauma and pain can be passed down so can love and joy and that's really what i'm yeah. holding to for navigating all of this yeah for sure and i think that that's like 
I think that that's the way that I'm, I kind of, like a lot of the prompts um, on ancestors and training, depending on what the, the mood of them are, they can be buoys in the sense of like, okay, I don't know which way this could go and the, and this, it could go like this, but that, and it's like, okay, we need something to, it's kind of like those rides at a carnival where you, your back is to it and it spins really fast and eventually you slide up or you slide down like whenever i go on those and especially as a kid i would always have to find some kind of fixed point to look at otherwise i would realize like oh shit like this is really happening so i feel like some of the prompts and especially this mindset overall that's my fixed point that's my thing on the horizon to look at or to keep in mind so that way i don't get overwhelmed or swept up to use the metaphor of being in the water um to get swept up by that wave right and this wave we're talking about is like lol the conception of the united states like what is that uh at any given moment of my life i'm just like yeah what what why like why is this and like geopolitics over here and then this and then this is all because you know colonization okay yeah like that whole thing and then being like okay, I'm just one person in the world. Um, I'm I'm a daughter, I'm a granddaughter, I'm a friend. I am many things to many people, but I am primarily like myself to myself. And how can I make sure that I um, tend to that and make sure that my descendants know that I lived in a way that was with them in mind whenever I could? Yeah. And as you were speaking about earlier, there really is a power in, you know, doing that work on the individual level and modeling that, even if the modeling part isn't the primary intention, just for others. Um, yeah, I think I think that's really beautiful. And I think the props are amazing. I'm going to be going back this week and and looking at them and just taking that that time to meditate on, you know, where I've been, where we're going. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that that's something that I, um, I invite people to think about sometimes. It's like, yo, like meditation and reflection and all these things look like different things to different people. Like there's some people who pray with their feet and they need to go dance every now and again. It's sweat to be able to have a clear head. There's some people, they get that feeling in the gym. There's some people, they need to just unplug for a little bit and go off the grid and be in the woods um, as their form of prayer. And I think that that's also a part of my, you know, contrarian nature, so to speak, of like, it really doesn't have to be, you know, meditation in the ways in which we see like yoga to have been commodified to be. You know, um, and there's nothing wrong with yoga. If yoga is your jam, this is me not yucking your yum. I'm just naming it to say that, like, that's not the only way, especially when we talk about wellness. Yeah, I love that because, as you said, when we talk about wellness, it's really, it provides a counter to this narrative that we've seen a lot in the past few years that. It has to look a particular way. Again, you have to invest all this money to get the lemon leggings and the Stanley cup and the perfect yoga mat. Like, 
I love the idea of wellness can be, wellness and spirituality can be whatever you need it to be. Yeah, especially it can be whatever you need it to be as long as it doesn't cause harm to somebody else. Like, that's it. But that I also, with that in mind, um, I think that that's a part of the... We're talking about the, the leggings and all the things, and I think about that specifically going back to what we're talking about, about um, respecting indigenous cultures, is that it also means listening to the stewards of the land that you're on when they say, stop buying sage um, or stop buying Palo Santo because things have been so hyper-commodified that um, specifically with the Palo Santo reference, that is, that means holy wood. It's bark from a tree that um, is primarily found, I want to say in Ecuador. Um, if I'm incorrect, please correct us. Um, and it is, they are grown in secret groves. And because of how much people want it, they can't grow it fast enough. Because for it to smell the way that it smells, and it's a beautiful smell, that tree has to lay on the ground after it has died for quite some time for the resin to 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 do what it's going to do. And so for me, once I figured that out, I was like, damn, okay, so I'm only buying this from reputable places, places that give back, places that are indigenous, places that if they're not indigenous, they do some kind of program where, you know, they're not invested in the um, harm of folks in Palestine, right? Because, like, there's sub companies that are really great herbal companies. And I'm like, when you do the research, it's like, oh, wait, no, you're only kind of indigenous people in Palestine. Never mind. Right. And it's just like having that kind of awareness is important because we we all have the capacity to cause harm we've all probably caused harm at some point but the more that we can be aware of that and try not to further perpetuate some things and again emphasis on some i'm like the, that list of things is so long that we won't always get it right but the things that we can affect and the things that we can do as we've been Going back to in our everyday, like those little things add up. They do. And I love that you actually called out and named the fact that um, there can be harm when it comes to wellness and spiritual practices. Um, I think that a lot of the work that I'm interested in doing with Heritage is giving a voice to those communities that have held this medicine for so long, right? Like, I don't just want to hear about Palo Santo. I want to hear about the communities that it comes from. I want to hear about what that medicine means to them and why it's considered. Um, and with that, and kind of, I guess this is the last question I had, but it leads me into the question of um, being in communion with our own lineages, right? And finding power there. Um, because sure, like, there is medicine in, in Palo Santo, but there's also, as you were saying earlier, you know, each of us is indigenous to someplace in the world. There is medicine that is a part of our personal lineage that I honestly believe, and in relation to uh, Sankofa, you know, go back, get it. 
sit at the feet of your elders if you can and and learn do the research to reclaim what is essentially yeah the medicine of your lineage and connecting with those ancestors those medicine people in your own lineage so i guess my question for you is um can you speak to the importance of lineage and how your own lineage has um informed your practice your work and yeah yeah thank you for that um my lineage is sheep my whole spiritual journey like we even talked about that earlier with the you know the the shenanigans of like doing dna tests right and you know finding relatives that you didn't realize existed and like that unlocking a whole different door like one of the things that i speak about often and i'll use my own specific lineage to uplift that like some of the some of the Andrages and Deandrages and that name specifically within Portuguese lineage, like when you pull the root all the way back, uh, a lot of them weren't kind. Um, a lot of them, specifically the branch that ended up um, settling in Brazil, like they they weren't the nicest. And that's me being kind without saying it, okay? And... Um, it's also just kind of like, damn, like, do I claim all of those ancestors or no? Like, am I going to claim the benevolent ones, even the, you know, the white folks that got in there because of slavery? Some people who are descended of um, enslaved Africans do not claim their white ancestors. Some people, some people do. That is a personal choice. I am not telling y'all what to do. Um, I know for me that has informed like that kind of consciousness of being like, not all ancestors were created equal, not just my, you know, my white ones that got in there because of harm, right, um, or that caused harm, but understanding that some of my black ones did too. Um, I think that for me, like doing some of the DNA tests, and obviously this is not an exhaustive research, like a lot of that technology is changing underneath our feet. Um, but I will say it was affirming to know that the majority of my African ancestry is Nigerian because I'm in a Nigerian practice. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, I'm glad I glad my intuition was kind of like, go this way, you know? Um, but even with some folks um, that are Nigerian that I've spoken with or connected with lately, like they often ask this question in the form of, you know, it's interesting for them to see diasporic black people practice diasporic versions of what they grew up with mm-hmm. or what they were exposed to right so i think that that's a whole other conversation for another time and i'm always happy to hear it and i know that for me um specifically with my caribbean lineage my um my godfather is also caribbean specifically from one of the places i'm from diana and um i know that he's a part of the reason why at least for me i believe in the phrase um when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm. Uh, I didn't meet him, and so I was, you know, ready, per se, to get a reading and to understand. But then even within my own practice and that journey specifically, I took my time, right? Because I learned from just the ways of the world, but also my parents, really, that because of their demeanor of respect, 
give the, um, my mother was a teacher. Um, she's semi-retired now. And my dad, as I mentioned earlier, was in the, um, the military. Um, they raised me to finish whatever I started to the best of my ability. It's not to not be a quitter per se, but it's like, if you're going to do it, do it well. Yeah. You know? Um, or do it wholeheartedly, which is my relationship with Ifa. I, you know, when I first got a reading with my godfather, it was, you know, I wasn't ready. But that was 2018. It's 2023. And it took me four years to do more research and deepen ancestors and training and travel some more specifically with getting to know some of my relatives that are still here like i had to go through that entire arc to then come back home and be like okay i'm ready you know so i know for me that that's a part of the way not a part of the way but that's an active example of that my lineage informs my practice because i'm like i take my time um especially in my tradition because i'm like there's certain things that you can't really get back um or it would be really difficult to do. And also, like, why would you want to do that? So uh, <laughs> it's like, I just thought that through. I was like, listen, I'm like, why would I ever want to give that back? Like, I have a lot more things to learn about and other things in my toolkit that make me closer to my own divine destiny and my my lineage. But I specifically say that to say that um, that looks different for everybody. Um and some practices, especially if you're trying to find a practice, um, it can be hard because this is also a question that comes up around like African diasporic traditions and African traditional religions. And it's like, okay, can non-African um, descending folks practice these things? And some people say yes, some people say no. Um, depends on who you talk to and where they are. And I think that that again speaks to this practice and the space of like lineages showing up in terms of how you move through the world and i also think that that's a part of my own journey really and like most of my most of my globe trotting as of late has been to places that i either have some kind of ancestral connection to or there's a practice there that helped me with my journey as a survivor or some combination of the two. And the older that I get, the more that I'm trying to prioritize those types of journeys physically because they are journeys emotionally. They're journeys in terms of my spirit. And I think that it's a choice that I've made in terms of how I want to live my life because especially in terms of being an ancestor and training, I'm like, okay, I want to make sure that I learned as much as I could, that I went to as many places as I could to learn from the people on the ground um, and not just, you know, hear about it abstract in New York, like actually like go to Salvador Bahia and to hear from Afro-Brazilians about what it means for them to be one of the blackest places in the world and they're not in the continent of Africa or um, what it means for me as a black diaspora person to to understand and also respect that fact of like that that's a really you know 
rich place and has so much culture there, but it's also um, not without its histories and not without its legacies that they're trying to transform. And that's within all of us, right? Like there's certain things that we're, it goes back to the everyday. I'm like, there's some things within our lineage, within our makeup that, you know, are, I almost want to say there to teach us or there to illuminate possibilities, right? Because I'm like, it's not always going to work out. It's not always going to be perfect. You're not always going to make the right set of choices. But what you can do is make informed choices. What you can do is build a community, especially if you feel alone or um, try and find like-minded practitioners and understand that it won't always go well. It won't always go completely right and that you're allowed to change your mind, right? Um, Especially as you learn that there's some folks who, you know, your lineages might have gelled before but when you grow and you make different choices or you choose to deepen your practices that, you know, not everybody's going to um, be able to come along and that's okay. Um, you just got to hope that people find their, you know, what works for them, what their jam is and what works with their lineage. Um, because by example, by you, tending to what works for yours, you know, you can, all we can do is hope that it sets the stage for not only those that come after us, but those that are our peers, right? Because we're not alone in doing this work. I'm not the only one talking about how to be, you know, an ancestor in training. I think that there's a lot of folks that are out here and calling it different things, but we all have the same, we all have the same sentiment or ethos in mind, right? Like be a good human now, have a Pele, which means good character. Like do do the things and be kind. Um yeah. I love it. Do the things and be kind. <laughs> um thank you so much, Veronica. Can you uh, let people know where they can find you and find more aligned community, hopefully, to continue doing this work? Um, any upcoming events or offerings that you all might have at Ancestors in Training or yeah, whatever you'd like to share. Yeah, sure. So uh, we are ancestorsintraining.org on websites. We are ancestors in training, all one word on Instagram. Ancestors in training seven because somebody took the other one on Facebook, which still irritates me. Yeah. Uh, and specifically on the ancestors in training website, you can see what events we're up to. In real time, if you do ancestorsinchaining.org forward slash take dash action that has podcasts, that has links to things like um, plays that we make, it has a link to subscribe to our newsletter. Um, we are taking a bit of a commercial break um, for the beginning of spring, so that way we can figure out what it looks like for us to do a summer series. Um, and invite different practitioners within the ecosystem to talk about not only what brings them joy, but how they have courage to maintain that joy um, during these kind of times. So I'm excited to share more about that as it develops, but that's all she wrote for that. 
Well, I'm really excited to see that develop and also to share on, on this platform and on Heritage as well. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and being our first guest on this podcast. I feel like I feel like this was such a rich conversation and we could have gone on forever and ever, but for all noble. Yeah, we could. <laughs> I know that um, so much of this will stay with me. Um, so I really appreciate you. I appreciate you too. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the offerings podcasts, you know, continues to grow and develop. Thank you. Okay, well, that's all, folks. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. They're small actions, but truly help to expand the audience and help us connect with the right people, more listeners like you. For more information on Heritage, be sure to visit our website, readheritage.com, and follow us on Instagram, at readheritage. Both are also linked in the show notes. You can learn more about me via my website, taylorshirley.com, or on social media at Taylor Shirley. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be well.